Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of HashiCast. Uh, it's really, really good to be back, especially for me. I haven't you know, co-hosted with Nick in a while, so this is very exciting for me. Uh, and uh, we, we have a very exciting episode. We have amazing guests. Uh, we have Michelle and Blackie from Microsoft. Uh, this will be a very interesting conversation. And this is the first time you're live streaming a HashiCast. So it's a pretty big deal for us. Call it HashiCast Live. Uh, and this program will be a little uh, kind of, you know, not your, your usual HashiCast format. So it'll be a kind of a round table we'll discuss. Uh, we were just discussing topics and as uh, our topics list in a document, there's no topics on it. There, I think there's like three of them. So uh, we'll probably, uh, you know, kind of go with the flow and see, see what happens here. Uh, I'll quickly intro uh, Michelle. So uh, Michelle is a senior software engineer at Microsoft and she works on the Azure containers team and, and also works on many other open source projects. You might know her from the, from the Kubernetes community. She's also a maintainer of Helm. Uh, she is in the technical oversight committee for the CNCF. She's also the developer representative, uh, representative for the Kubernetes, for Kubernetes on the governing board for CNCF. Uh, so a lot of things that Michelle does here. Uh, and I, I, the special thing, the interesting thing here is that Michelle and I tried recording this HashiCast uh, maybe like, like two years ago at KubeCon, uh, Copenhagen. Yeah. And we had a great conversation. We were, like, that was the first time we actually substantially, uh, you know, we substantially spent time together. And uh, it was like an hour and a half. Uh, we were just like, you know, vibing. It was a great conversation. At the end, I realized that I did not hit the record button. So that, that episode never got released. Uh, so I apologize to all the viewers. But uh, yeah, I, hopefully today we can kind of make up for it. So it'll be interesting. I'm excited. I'm Thanks for having me. I'm especially excited as well because we, we're going to get to talk about something a little bit different today because I believe that Lachlan is going to tell us his number one recipe about breadsticks. So you think you're here for tech, you're not getting tech, you're just getting bread. But, and I uh, must say, you're in the best place to get the best breadsticks in the world. Well, I'm You've doing, actually taken it upon yourself to outside, record live from... <laughs> outside broadcast. It, uh, you gotta know the people in the high places, but I did it. I'm here, I'm, uh, I'm waiting for some breadsticks. But uh, on a serious note, Lachlan is a principal program manager at Microsoft, and he's focused on the kind of the container sort of side of things. So looking at containers, looking at compute, Kubernetes, CNCF ambassador, very much kind of focused around uh, the, the community of, um, with the CNCF and also with Kubernetes and, and looking at things like the release program as well with, with, with Kube, I believe. You may also know Lachlan from some of his YouTube unboxing videos, which I, we will put a link uh, below because I think they're rather terrific. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I will also add that I've been a longtime HashiCorp fan and uh, have uh, great stories about using Surf back, back in uh, 2012, 2013. So we, we can go into them too. So oh, yeah. kudos to the HashiCorp team and building great tools that solve some of the most challenging problems in the ecosystem. Thank you. 
I will take a hundred percent responsibility for everything. <laughs> so I think let's let's okay, let's start with I'll start with Michelle first, right? Again, I said this is a kind of a round table type of field, so please feel free to interrupt and, and we'll edit out all the, the awkward interruptions and stuff <laughs> later. But uh, for the live stream host, it should be kind of a discussion, right? So Michelle, how did you how did you get started? This is a question we usually ask all our guests uh, for like uh, this is kind of a tradition. How did you get started in technology? Uh, were you interested in it in high school or something that you got into in university? Because I know I kind of you know I knew from grade one that I wanted to be a network engineer, but it never happened. Uh, instead, I I I, <laughs> I got into this like uh, you know this giant building of abstractions, and all I do is just build another abstraction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us about yourself. Yeah, um, uh, I was the opposite. I definitely did not think about being an engineer. I really wanted to be a politician and I wanted to be the president. That, that was my goal. And that is no longer my goal. Uh, so please let you that put be away your, your badges. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I really was interested in law. I even did an internship at the DA's office when I was in high school. I was really into it. But, and I, I was in student government in, um, in college. Uh, I think it was like my second or third year of college where I was like, oh, you know what? Um, student housing is kind of a mess and I really want to fix that. One in four people at my university went and studied abroad, but nobody even really sublet their places. So they would take these year long leases out and then they would just have an empty like room um, for like six months of it. So I really wanted to fix that problem. And in my university, that wasn't um, the highest priority. And so we weren't able to allocate funding and get like project management on that problem through student government. So I was like, you know what, I'll just, I'll do it myself. Like how hard could it be, you know? Um, so I hired this uh, person off like a freelance, like web development site. Um, and he did a great job. Uh, he had studied computer science and art and in Italy and I was like that sounds really dope like you're hired here's $500 because that's how much it costs to make a website back in the day um and he was like yeah I'm using JavaScript and I was like cool well I don't have any more money like I begged my mom for that $500 like so I had to like figure out how to fix that website myself and take on the rest of the responsibilities so I was like cool I mean I'll take a computer science class and I'll learn Java and uh I found out halfway through the semester that Java is not the same as JavaScript. Um, but I was hooked and I was into it. Uh, we solved the towers of Hanoi problem in my class. And I was like the first person to solve that problem. And I was like, that's so cool. Like I was really into it. And then I took like theoretical computer science classes and I was like, that's really cool too. So I don't know. I just like, that's, I got into it accidentally and then I just really liked it. And here I am. So that's awesome. That's that's awesome. I guess like the leader side, like the leader in you hasn't, as in, you know, kind of taking a taking a back seat here. Like you were still leading a bunch of stuff in, in in the kind of the CNCF umbrella. And that's really awesome to see. Like I I, I think the, the best one of the best keynotes is the one that I think you did at one of the KubeCon uh, one of the KubeCons, I think, in Europe. And I was I was I was in the audience. Like I was amazed because I'd seen Michelle. Like Michelle actually has has helped me put together a proposal for KubeCon 2017 in Austin. Uh, so I, I put together a proposal. I wasn't working for HashiCorp then. Uh, and then I sent it to Michelle and I didn't know Michelle, right? Like she tweeted out <laughs> on the internet, hey, like, you know, DM me if you want a review. And I didn't know who Michelle was. I was like, you know what, if Michelle, you know, if I want someone else to kind of, hopefully someone else can pre peer review the proposal for me. 
Michelle did that. She was super kind to give her time. And then, uh, and then I got to like KubeCon 2017, like 2017, 2018, I realized, man, Michelle's like a big deal in, in, the, in, in the Kubernetes community. She was like up on stage. I was like, God damn, like Michelle helped me. She had at that time to dedicate uh, towards like this proposal. And that, that kind of shows in, you know, your community work and stuff like that. So I really appreciate you. You should continue doing that. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet of you. Um, I honestly uh, was afforded the same like um, benefits from other people in our community before, you know, I got really into it. And I feel like it's just, you know, good to pass things on. I feel really good about this whole community. People are just generally nice and willing to help if they can. And, and I don't know, I just, I really like, I thrive in that kind of setting and I want to help continue that. So and it's always good to meet everybody like, like you and just like everybody else in the community is just so fun to work with. So, yeah. It's a great community. Now, Lucky, we get into your story. I have a theory. So I have a theory that because you've got that sort of type of face that just looks like really helpful, that, that actually you ended up getting into technology because somebody was like, hey, um, could you help me solve this, this problem with uh, microservice systems um, just after they'd asked you, could you, tell me where the flower is in the supermarket and could you park my car for me <laughs> now what, what what is the story are you, are you just that kind of generic helpful chap you totally yeah. have that face uh, yeah thank you i have been told you know you have generic friendly person face and it has played out in my life i can't go into target without being asked for where something is or where the restroom <laughs> is one day when i was living in new york somebody actually tapped me i was i was walking past um you know there was some al fresco dining out on the street somebody tapped me and asked me to grab them salt and i said i don't even work here but i went and got the salt <laughs> anyway so i'm just one of those generic wherever i go you know i i remember i was in in italy and somebody, this whole people on, were on a bunch of bikes doing like a Tour de France style thing. And they all pulled over and, I, and, and asked me questions. And I was like, I don't even, I'm not even Italian. I don't even know where the next city is. <laughs> but I was still as helpful as, you know, I tried in my broken Italian to help. Um, but yeah, I do have that. I, I want to be helpful. So hopefully, you know, I'm glad that transpires into my face. But um, for me, you know, I never, I, I always wanted to be a policeman or a fireman or something along those, or even in the military uh, growing up. But there was this inherent uh, obsession to build things. And it, it was really expressed by Legos and, and building bikes. I built a motorcycle. I love that kind of building things from the ground up. And then when I went to college, I thought, you know, I want to build software. Um, and I, I started in software engineering, but it was always hard and I was always disappointed when I would show my mother and father a black screen and say, but it's doing all this stuff. And they'd go, but I can't see all the stuff that it's doing. So therefore it's not doing anything. And that didn't give me many kicks and no offense to all the software engineers out there, but you know, showing my mom and dad a calculator and a console didn't really, uh, didn't really give me kicks. So I went into network engineering because I could build networks from the ground up and see, you know, I was very interested in how to connect people. And I felt like it was super tangible to be able to um, make computers talk to one another around the world. And I wanted to be part of that. So I went in and studied network engineering. And then I subsequently worked on things like, you know, the cable systems under the ocean uh, that power the, the network and uh, dense wave division multiplexing and all those things. But what, what I found, and this has been the theme throughout my career, is 
I always appreciated good automation because, you know, you do things once or twice and then it's like, well, could some other system do this for me? Uh, because, you know, it's the toil starts to catch up with you. Um, and um, networking didn't lend itself back in the day to automation. It was all about toil. You would have to configure thousands of routers by hand and you weren't doing it in Git and you were copying, pasting everything. So uh, I had the opportunity to come and build a cloud for a company. And that's when I discovered things like HashiCorp where it was like, I can automate the building of this whole thing and I can templatize this thing. And I've always, it's stuck with me. And that's why, you know, I really appreciate working in the cloud is how do I scale my own abilities to create more reliable systems that people can build upon? So I think if you follow my career through networking and building things and the cloud, it's always been like, how do I automate what I know is good? And how do I help other people do that? So that's kind of my Wolverine origin story. You know, the, the, the best thing about automation or the top secret thing around automation is you shouldn't tell anybody about it. So if it's like you automate a deployment of a server and your boss comes along and says, hey, can you deploy a server? You're like, yeah, it'll take me a couple of days when really you got automation. <laughs> you're kind of like sitting there and you're just like, yeah, a couple of days doing some my automation. I like it. I like it. Get this life thing figured out, Nick. <laughs> you got into Olive Garden. You understand how to talk about managing your time to your boss. It's good. When it comes good. to managing time, I am the expert at mismanaging time. Nick, we are live streaming this. Just letting you know. It's okay. We've, we've, we've done our annual reviews. I'm good for another 12 months. <laughs> We, we should probably so talk good. about some technology, though. I think Mishra has got some burning questions that he's dying to. Burning questions? No, I don't have burning questions. I, I wanted to uh, talk about just, I guess, open source in, in general. Like, I, I just find that interesting. Um, you know, we all work on various open source projects. And it's so interesting that, like, ev I, like whoever I talk to who is, like, an open source contributor, like, everyone has their own interesting story about their project because it's like their baby there's there's like things there's a culture like there's almost a feeling to an open source project like when you join a project just by the way the the this is this is a little obsessive but you know the, the way the the issues are laid out or like mm -hmm. the you know the number of pull requests like mm -hmm. if you open uh, open source project you hit like the pull request button and you see like this insane amount of pull requests open and then you're like okay maybe like Maybe that, you know, if I submit one, it's going to be in the queue. I don't know when it'll be merged and so on. So I think because of various reasons, but you get a feel of an open source project. So I think my question is around, like, how do you, like, what, according to you, is like kind of a good feeling open source project? Like what, what, when you, when you, when you, you don't have to give examples, but like in, in terms of like what you feel when you, when you, when you open a project, what you, what you're looking for, like what, what, what are the things, what are the basics that you're looking for? And then it, it kind of signals to you that, okay, this is a healthy open source project. I, I'm going to go first again, Lockie. So I love when I open a repo and in the first paragraph, they tell me exactly what problem this project is solving. Nothing makes my heart more warm than a good two sentence problem statement. If you need to explain 20 different things to get to the root, 
that's, that's a lot of work for me. <laughs> I'm not going to pay attention for that long unless I really need to. But I love being able to see that problem statement because then I can compare like other projects in the space kind of in the same layer and like figure out which thing is like most suited for my needs, you know? I love seeing a good code of conduct. Ooh, also warms my heart, you know? <laughs> Governance, that MD, all the, all the, you know, good uh, hygiene things. Um, I think, you know, like it's nice also to see like people actually, like maintainers actually responding to issues. That's always nice. Um, sometimes I look at like, there's a stat, I don't know what it's called. It's in the like, code frequency tab, whatever the contributions tab, and it shows you like a pulse of the project. I look at that to see how long has it been since the last commit was made? Um, how, how active is the project? Um, sometimes I'll look at who's backing it, but I don't really care that much as long as it solves the problem that I'm, I'm looking for. Um, yeah, good documentation is always, always great. But I understand that a lot of people don't have time for that. So if you can just tell me exactly what you're trying to do, I can make some guesses around what, where to look for stuff, but that's always a, a nice, a nice thing to have too. Lucky. lucky. <laughs> yeah, let me, I'm going to answer this from a different way, then come back to the, the good right. open source. But, you know, for me, it, it, it comes, so let's, why I open source or why I think open source is valuable. And this comes back to generic, friendly, smiley face. Uh, but you know, I really love, and this has been a theme of an interest, is the collective endeavor of human, human knowledge, whether that's the internet, but how we, how we can share ideas that are inherent to problems that we all need to solve. And via open source, I kind of get my uh, motivation that imagine if somebody can take software that we all worked on together and solve a problem that I don't even know about. Um, and we're giving that away for free, that knowledge. So you know, the distillation of all the software engineering skills on earth from all these diverse backgrounds can come together and build something together to solve a problem. And the outcome of that could be something we would never have foreseen. It could be getting people water, medicine. It could be solving problems like we have in the world today. And I, that's just really passionate um, for me under the hood. And it's, it's great that companies, you know, like Microsoft and HashiCorp are actually invest in, in, in doing open source because they're giving us the grounds to say, hey, let's give this software away for free um, and let's start building things and solving problems in the open. So I really appreciate that. So that's just my kind of philosophical standpoint. I think for uh, open source project hygiene, certainly the hallmarks, the hallmarks of good open source project uh, hygiene, I think, um, you know, Michelle hit on most of them that I would say, I think CICD pipelines, uh, release cadence, versioning, how do you version? Not only your the artifacts, the APIs, these are all good things. And then, you know, the openness of the feedback channel because a project is only as good as the people who can contribute to them. And are the maintainers open to feedback? How is that handled? Um, how are they, uh, you know, actively working to solicit more people to build on that project and do they have a culture of openness do they invite people to come and talk to uh, raise issues to create proposals to implement those proposals so um you know on top of what michelle had already stated i think these are things that i look for when i when first observing open source in the wild 
So I, I, I want to ask some questions about some of the, the projects that you're working on, but I think this is a really interesting train of thought for me. So we, we've kind of talked about backgrounds and kind of how you both got involved in software, but, but kind of some of the key things that you've talked about, about what you really enjoy and what you look for when you're looking at an open source project is not the sort of thing that I was ever taught at college. And, and it seems that these skills are things that we accumulate through kind of, I'm never going to be able to pronounce the word right, am, am amorphism, am amor we're going to absorb them. We absorb them. <laughs> but how do, you, how do you think we kind of get better at this? Because I, I do think a lot of things, it's about kind of teaching, sharing, learning. Lockie, I'll let you go this first this time if you want. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, no, absolutely. I think, you, you know, foundations certainly like the CNCF help create a space where we can share standard best practices and have an expectation of how to build software in the open and set up ways to make that happen tactically. Um, so what constitutes good open source, how we should communicate and collaborate through things like codes of conduct, how we should treat each other, how we should interact. These are all good places to learn. And I think this is, you know, the, these are inherent things that we do socially with people in general, but spelling them out and creating these spaces where we can interoperate, I think is, is really important. And, you know, we've all seen this, it, you know, we, we live in the software world, but I've seen this, for example, if you've ever been to like GitHub Universe, all their legal proceedings are in Git. All their policy documents are in Git. Um, so they're using that Git workflow to actually build into other traditional aspects of the business and open sourcing that as well. And so how does GitHub do policy? There's a, all their legal documents are in Git and you can look at them, which I think is really fascinating. And if you take that to the upteenth degree, you may have seen things like wiki, wiki governments and Wikipedia are ways that we can kind of normalize um, this distribution of knowledge through things like open source. So I'm, I'm giving you kind of abstract answers, but I think, you know, flipping your mind from uh, holding knowledge as power to giving knowledge away and building knowledge together as power is yeah. something that would be really interesting when, to push down into universities and colleges. Let's yeah. collaborate. And that, you know, that's a better outcome for everybody. If we do that rather than, you hoarding knowledge and uh, sitting upon that knowledge as your own power. Yep. I mean, I've, Misha might look like he has more gray hair than I, but I've been working in the industry for a while. And one of the things I have noticed <clears throat> that the change towards sort of an, an inclusive approach to development, the rise of kind of open source and, and publicly kind of talking about our projects has driven this industry a thousand times faster than it ever did when everything was kind of closed and secretive. And that's from a kind of a knowledge as well as the software. So I'm, I'm all all about that. That's uh, you're singing my song there. How, how about you, Michelle? Yeah, I had a startup um, at the end of college, uh, and I come from like a business and entrepreneurial background, which my family is in. And so, you know, I, I adore people and the whole free open source software movement. I think that is so valuable. And what you know, what a revolutionary way to think and what a, a beautiful message to push to kind of get us here. But I also think 
uh, it's important and it, it has been important for businesses and organizations to think about how, like, you know, think about the zero sum game, like, and how, um, how, you know, it is better to cooperate. It is more, um, uh, beneficial to your company at the end of the day, to your bottom line, to cooperate with everybody else instead of, you know, holding everything in and, you know, building your own stuff. It's better to cooperate on certain things so that you can build uh, even more value on top. And so to me, you know, I think uh, this movement has come this far for lots of different reasons, but a big chunk of it has also been uh, how businesses kind of see the light and and understand um, how and, and why it's beneficial to cooperate and, and that you have to invest in that. And it's, a lot of engineers don't know what license to use on their projects and what code of conduct to have and, you know, a lot of other things. And it's great that GitHub has kind of template, templatized this. And then you have foundations like the Linux Foundation and CNCF and, and different alliances and other foundations that kind of just come in and help you, um, like Lockie mentioned, uh, solidify a set of best practices and publish those best practices. I think that foundations have so much to offer in terms of, you know, showing communities and engineers from all sorts of companies, like this is, this is a, a way to do it. This is a way that you can do this open source thing. You don't have to adopt all of it. Um, you can just take it and see what works for you. And I think just having that also empowers individual engineers to, to do whatever they can in the, in the public as well. Can I, can I ask you a follow-on as well? Because we, we've just had a really interesting sort of question come in from the chat, which, which is from James. And James says, for a traditional software company that hasn't been doing open source, what are some of the pros and cons to start switching to kind of at least partially open source solutions? Um, Maki, shall I, or do you want to? No, you go go ahead, go okay. ahead. Um, some of the pros that I see are um, getting your name out there as a company that is um, is into open source is good for you as uh, someone who like is known to not build everything in house, uh, mainly because a lot of engineers nowadays want to do open source and uh, want to be able to transfer their set of skills from you know job to job. Um, so I think it's great for recruiting and just branding uh, from a branding perspective. Um, but also like you know if you're relying on uh, open source software, then you're not the only person fixing bugs and um, you don't have to carry the entire weight of the burden of, you know, all of the things that go along with maintaining software, like fixing security issues, like ASAP, you know, and, and all the other things, answering issues, helping the community and all of that. Um, I'm going to let Lockie do pros and then maybe we can do another round for cons. Think. Yeah, I think I think the pros, you know, certainly there is the scaling aspect. So the more eyes on a set of problem and the more diverse set of thoughts on, on the way to solve it is generally going to work in your favor when building software. I think the, the other side of it is, and we've been trying to do this on, on our team at Microsoft is, if we come up with a way to solve a problem in, in open source, generally it's it's less intrusive in the long long run as a solution in terms of can people adopt it? So let me give you a tactical or kind of tangible uh, 
uh, story here. So we knew Kubernetes policy was going to be a challenge for many, many folks. And we started building a, a policy controller for Kubernetes in-house. And we said, you know, do we build our own policy agent? And we looked at OPA and we said, well, there's one in OPA. How about we go there instead of creating a whole new policy language? How about we build this thing out in the open? So we all agreed that we, we would build this thing in the open. And, you know, other companies showed up and said, hey, we're doing the, the same thing. And I think at the end of the day, what we produced in, in Gatekeeper and that project still working, we, we now have a, a, a way to talk about Kubernetes policy that is agnostic for who's providing it under the hood in terms of who's operating your Kubernetes cluster. And I think the benefits to the community are the real pro here. So everybody can come and use this policy agent and not worry about where their cluster is running on which cloud provider or on which on-prem. So now they just have to worry about the, the solution there. So I think in that, in that regard, we can all agree on how we wanna solve a problem and then everybody gets to benefit from that. So it's kind of a force multiplier. That's what I would say is, is a pro. And you'll find nine times out of 10, everybody else is having similar problems to you. Mm -hmm. And then by starting something in open source and having that statement of intent, this is the problem we're trying to solve. People will be drawn to that. Um, so. I mean, that, that uh, topic of, you know, having diverse perspectives on a problem, you know, basically gives you a, ro a more robust solution and more hands uh, to solve the problem. That is like, great. I think a con is, um, is, you know, if you are doing open source in an open way, then you don't get to come and just say, hey, this is how we're doing things. And we're going to, we're going to, you know, that's it. Like, you can't, I don't think that, I mean, some open source projects do have a VDFL, I think is the term. Uh, but I think like these days, what people are looking for is open governance. Um, a, uh, a way to actually become a maintainer, um, a, you know, a input in the roadmap and decision-making. And so if you're going to do open source, then you got to really do, you know, best, whatever is best by your community and um, commit to that. So I think if you're saying, hey, like, I want to put this out there and I want other people to help me with the problem, uh, you, you also have to let go a little bit of that ownership and I think a way to prevent yourself from getting into um, potential issues down the road is to ensure that the core problem that you're trying to solve is really identified well. And that core piece is solved with your, with your main code base or your whatever your primary code is. And then there is a, a plugin system or extension mechanisms in the right way. And I feel like every time we've thought about that early on, it's really proven well for not only us in a governance uh, situation, but it's also helped us like, I guess in, in the open source project, um, you know, cater to diverse requirements, uh, diverse organizations, use cases and users. And it prevents like, it, I've seen this, especially in Helm, right? Like it's like, if you want your own like specific unicorn solution, that's cool, like build a plugin, um, and then if a lot of people are using that plugin, then we'll just accept it into core and it's a way for you to get unblocked, but for us to actually test that this solution is the one that mo the majority of the community wants to work towards. So I don't know, that's my take on the cons. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think the, the 
you know, coming back to like having a core is really important. I feel like establishing like the, the happy path, like use case, like the one thing that should work from a project should actually work really well. And then I think the interface, the plugin interface, like how you define it, what do you, what do you expose, what do you not expose from the core is really important decision-making again. And then I think, then like, I think a, a, a nice guide to tell people, here's how you build a plugin. I think that, that those are the three steps, right? Like, and then, and then, you know, it's up to the, the people to extend it. And usually like it ends up being really amazing. Like, I, I guess a good example from the HashiCorp products is, is Terraform. Like it's insane how many providers are there for like Terraform. It's just people. Yeah. Are, People doing some crazy stuff like Domino's provider and, and things like that. Order Domino's pizza. I don't know if it's that's that useful. Oh, I didn't know that. And <laughs> you know, I have been a Domino's fan for a very long time. So you know, so you can do it using work. code. When it comes to Italian food, Domino's pizza is probably one of my favorites too. I know some folk like their Italian food slightly different. They prefer other other chains, and and that's fine. And and some folk will say that Domino's pizza is not even Italian food. But I like well, it there, too. And I'm with you. I'm and you know with what? you. I like pineapple on my pizza. <gasps> Same here. And jalapenos. Yes. And jalapenos. Yes. Together. Together. And what I love about Domino's, and this is the genius thing about the Domino's uh, UI, is that they have this one feature, and that one configuration option really does it for me. And it's why I can never let go of this thing. And it's the fact that you can make your crust well done, just one little button and it makes my whole life. I do not like not well done pizza. If it's not black, don't no. give it to me. My dog What's the point? absolutely loves crunchy pizza crust as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can, you can look at us like this. You can kind of, you can try and pretend to be all uh, highbrow and, and eating at your <laughs> fancy, fancy restaurants, but Domino's. It's where it's at. Other pizza restaurants are available, but um, we do take sponsorships. Um, we don't have corporate bribes. <laughs> we, we could, we could. I wouldn't mind. Like, hey, Hashicast sponsored by Domino's. I'm down with that. <laughs> so okay, okay. I we have limited time. I want to keep the conversation flowing. So oh, yeah. let's talk about like actual projects that you're working on. So I think let's start with Lucky this time. Lucky, what would you say apart from like the the big Kubernetes project? Um, what other other things? I maybe you're, the projects you're interested to work on are, are something that you're you're directly involved with. Yeah, I think I, let let me start with Kubernetes, and this has been a fun one that we've been working on for about eight or nine months now, which is dual stack Kubernetes and IPv6 Kubernetes. So um, this was a really interesting challenge, and we were invited to come in and see if we could help solve it. Um, and it's still, it's still, you know, early days, but we're making good inroads. But really, you know, as Kubernetes clusters get bigger and get pushed into new operational environments, people are finding that IP addressing is actually quite a, a, a difficult challenge. So taking that on, and that is completely done in upstream open source, and we work with in the bounds of SIG network to drive getting that in. And I think, you know, uh, the, it was one of the largest changes in Kubernetes history was the PR to land the first implementation of dual stack. So that was something that was super interesting um, and it's really complex and it requires a lot of people to come together and agree on it. Um, but that's been, you know, 
I, th I think it was said by Tim is that it was project over company um, in that we all came together and agreed to build this together and everybody stepped up to help with that. So that's, that's one thing. The other area uh, that both Michelle and I have been working in recently is in the service mesh space. So service mesh interface, you know, helping the community. This has been a great kind of community led project in that many community members are saying, Hey, what are service meshes? How do I get one? How do I use one? What problems do they solve? So really with SMI, we were trying to rationalize the things people wanted out of service meshes and build, um, you know, some standard abstractions for them. And we've seen an ecosystem uh, develop of great implementations of uh, service meshes. So that's been fun to try to come in at the ground level and help build out that service mesh definition. And, and so just, they're, they're two super interesting projects. Go ahead, Nick. I was just gonna say on those uh, as well, we will put links um, just below because like the things that we're talking about, both of those projects are very much developed in the open and, and folks can can join the calls, they can, they can get involved, uh, and 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 contribute if if they if they if they, if they wish. Um, and Nick, wonderful. you're part of it, right? You're part of like the SMI stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm I'm kind of the dead weight that every project needs, but <laughs> come on, Console Connect was featured as the as the access policy demo. It's because it's SMI, so damn good. So yeah. And and like, you just you just need to accept the fact that Console is incredible and. I'm not wearing a HashiCorp t-shirt, so I don't work. Like, I'm not biased. Mishra, you don't want to listen to him, but from me, you listen to me. HashiCorp, Console Connect. It's where All it's right. at. No. <laughs> good, good, good on your performance review for the next one. I think this is going to get you. Get you. Performance <laughs> review, I think it'll be more, uh, as soon as we come out of the other side of this, um, I'll be speaking with recruitment consultants. And on that, hey, um, Right, Michelle. Michelle, go ahead. What what other projects you're working on? Uh, so yeah, I mainly um, work with Locky on um, SMI. Uh, I've been also working uh, on the technical oversight committee on what what we uh, what we're going to be working on in the next year. Um, so we have a lot of really interesting areas that we're diving into or that we're thinking about diving into. So we should have something coming up soonish. Uh, pandemic kind of threw a wrench in plans. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so just kind of observing like the cloud native landscape and figuring out what areas um, do we need to pay more attention to? What is high priority on our list? Um, you know, serverless is, is big on that. Um, we have cloud events, the specification, um, but we want to, you know, maybe figure out what other projects in the serverless space uh, would would be a good fit in the CNCF if, if they want to be housed in the CNCF. Um, so uh, things like that is, is what I'm working on. I had a quick follow-up question. Like, I think I see you do so much on kind of on the CNCF side as well. So how do you balance? Like you're a software engineer, right? Like, so what did you have like a day-to-day -day thing and then you reserve some time during the week for other stuff? Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, I was really underwater actually last year. I was kind of burnt out. Um, I was working on several different projects. Like I had worked on CNAB and Helm and uh, Draft and I can't remember all the rest, but those uh, and some more. And I just like was too stretched thin. Um, so I decided in terms of projects, like I would keep it to one or two 
um, so that I, you know, didn't feel super overwhelmed. Um, the community stuff, like you think, oh, I'll just do it in a few hours a week and like, it's fine. Like that's not what happens uh, at all. And I really do switch between like, uh, it's week to week for me. So like one week it may be just coding, just technical stuff. Um, the other week it may be mostly community stuff and context switching between different email threads. Um, and then the next week it might be deep diving into projects that have uh, one, want to go into incubation or um, CNCF sandbox. You know, that takes a lot of time. You're, you're learning about a different, a completely different project and talking to those maintainers. And it's just, it's a lot of work for me. I don't think it cuts it. Like, I can't just be like, oh yeah, half the day I'll do this and half the day, half the day I'll do something else. It just doesn't work for me. So really the themes switch from week to week. I do not take meetings or do meetings on Mondays. Um, that helps me a lot, except for maybe my team stand up, but sometimes I skip those too. Um, and that really helps me. When I start my week, just completely focused, and in depth, depth of like some really hard, hairy problem and, and all that, then I feel much better for the rest of the week. But, you know, yesterday I got an email and I spent like four hours figuring out how to respond to this email because I had to like think about the problem and then research all the solutions and then like compare it to like this other thing that I'm working on. And I'm like, that was like three or four hours of my time, you know, so I don't know, that's how I deal. I'm not the best at it, but it's what works for me right now. I think some great advice there. Thank you. I especially okay, love the so no I meetings think... Monday. Personally, no meeting yeah. Monday. I have no meeting Monday, no meeting Tuesday, no meeting Thursday, no meeting Friday. <laughs> and guess what? No meeting Wednesday. No, Wednesdays are our SMI calls. And I actually really enjoy those meetings. Well, that's not because, Yeah, for, for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm officially off the clock. It's it's post 6 p.m. That's oh, my... yeah. Oh, my gosh. When I'm waiting yeah. for the dominoes. <laughs> With your cat, right? You have a cat, right? I have I have a, a, a sinkette, 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 sink, five dogs. Five dogs? Yeah. You could have just said five dogs, Nick. I don't know why you tried saying trying to be trying to be smart. Yeah, but okay. as always <laughs> i don't know what the sync what sink, sink word cat. is either so i know quartet i was trying to think of the one quartet i have a quartet plus one dogs it's it's quinn quintet get you get you get you latin quintet or just quintet quintet, quintet thanks in for, english thanks for stepping in earlier and just watching me struggle hey, uncomfortably Austra australians are always got your latin back <laughs> So good. I'm glad this conversation won't go into cricket and any of that stuff because I think that would be interesting to to be. Uh, Wait, I do have a cricket comment. <laughs> Lockie, I'm Pakistani. My parents are from Pakistan, and Lockie messages me and tells me about what's going on with cricket in Pakistan, and I really appreciate it because I don't know anything about Pakistan. Actually, it's really pronounced Pakistan. I should do. I should say it the right way. Pakistan, and I definitely don't know anything about cricket. So I just want to say publicly, I really appreciate Lockie teaching me about cricket and Pakistan. And I will have you know that the the women's Pakistani cricket team is actually the best in the world. Wow! What? I didn't know so that. there you go. There you go. Today I learned. Very, Today they're, they're doing great things. Well, <laughs> I'm worrying that we're out of time, and. Oh. Um, 
but we do save the best question for last. That's true. Nick, you can go ahead and ask it. I couldn't. You're, you're privileged, my friend. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not going to ask this question, Nick. You started this whole thing, and I don't want to look stupid in front of everyone. Well, since I've already <laughs> made a career out of looking stupid, I'll roll then. <laughs> so we, we've genuinely loved having you on the show. And um, I hope people are liking this this format. I'm, I'm having a ball, but I always do. Um, we, we have this one last question. Mm-hmm. And the, the one last question is somewhat less serious, somewhat traditional in our own making, but still important to you, Michelle. Now, if you were a character in a video game, which one would you be? Okay, I don't play video games (laughs) the only video game that i really know about that i actually played actually i played a few i played um call of duty uh when i got my um tonsils taken out so i I do remember that one um and then there was like that grand theft auto one and boy did i love stealing cars that was my fave um and crashing it into like different places um but i think I really like the person in um, Crazy Taxi. Do y'all remember Crazy Taxi? Oh, yeah. I don't know. He just seemed pretty entertaining. And I liked him. He was just like, you know, picking up people and dropping them off and doing a thing. I like that guy. I'm, I'm with him. And then he'd drive a little crazy because I drive a little crazy. So, and he always make weird comments. I so. genuinely love this question. <laughs> <laughs> My guy. How's about you, Lucky? Link. Has to be Link. <gasps> oh, from the, in, um, from the Zelda Smash? series. Oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Link is in Smash. Um, oh, but that's from Zelda. It's from Zelda, yeah, sure. the Zelda series. But technically, I, technically, you could be Link from Zelda, and you could be Link from Smash. So it's 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 shareable. <laughs> totally. Like that. I think you know the puzzle, the puzzle version, and how Link is navigating is is kind of orthogonally related to my to my life no. so um oh. I, I i i gel to i gel to link How, how's about you mishra uh, for me i think i i guess i can just like i more recently got into gaming again but because of the this the the world we are living in um Man, uh, it's a hard one. Well, I grew up watching, like, I think the most, the, the most number of hours I've spent is when I was small, when I was in grade five, six or seven, maybe. Uh, I've played, like, the most games in my life, like, most hours, I guess, in a, in a month or so. And I spend, I spend most of the time uh, playing this game called Contra. I don't know if you know this, like, by Konami. And it's, like, an amazing soundtrack. Like, I, I wish I could... You know, I wish I could like have that soundtrack, like wake me up every morning. I got so fired up. Oh my God. It's like a full, like, it's like a shooter game. Uh, and, uh, and then a first person shooter game. And then it also has uh, like different levels, like, and, and then you get presented uh, with like a lot of different uh, challenges and, and so on. And then you basically shoot at everything. You get various guns. Uh, it's very, like very animated game. I, you know, I would say I would be that person. Cause I feel like it always like, got me, like, I've never had a bad experience playing that game. So right. I think that I would say I would like to become that person. Like, nice. not shoot people, but like, but, but like in terms of just like have, have that like energy, you know, to, to do and go, go off on these challenges and stuff like that. Awesome. Nick, what about you? 
Oh, I thought I was going to get off the hook. No. Nope. Oh, no. Well, so there's this game. I think um, Animal... Animal... Um, crossing. Uh, yeah, Animal Crossing, right. So this game's supposed to be relaxing. Relaxing this game is, people say. The world is crazy right now. Play Animal Crossing. Relax. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So every night before I go to bed, I play Animal Crossing because I'm worried that I owe this guy, Tom Nook, a bunch of bells, right? So I can't sleep until I pay him however many bells he's trying to extort out of me every day. So who would I be? I'd be the little, this little dog. There's this little dog called Goldie, I think, uh, who lives on my island. And I'd be the little dog called Goldie because Goldie's a nice, quiet little character. But what Goldie's really doing is working out quietly how to overthrow her capitalist overlord, Tom Nook, and kick him off that island so Nick can sleep better at night. That's who I'll be. I like that. I like that. Very heroic. Noble. But we got to close the show. And it has been an absolute pleasure. I hope everybody has enjoyed. We've got some uh, some more great stuff. And I'd love to have you back because I could literally just talk to you all both for hours and hours and hours. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for yeah. having us. Thanks, Lucky. Thank pleasure. You. Be safe. You've been listening to HashiCast with your host, Mishra and Nick. Today's guests were Michelle Nurali and Lachlan Emmonson from Microsoft. Be sure to tune in next time.